This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. I'm not joking. I kill people. I'm exactly the Jerry type for you. Lately, there are these moments when I feel connected to something else. Would you please stop doing that? And stop saying stupid things. Talk about your bloodbath. <laughs> Greetings, sociopaths. Welcome to Avenging Angels here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the eighth and final season of the Showtime series, Dexter. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my dark passenger, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Charlie. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I had a lot of trouble deciding which beer I wanted to be drinking right now, but I decided to go with the one with the moose on it. Always a good plan is to go with the one with the moose. Always go with the moose. Or any other animal, for that matter. If, if you're a lover of nature and wildlife, I think that should factor into how you choose your beer. Absolutely. All right, Charlie, before we really dive into things, I just would like to encourage all of our listeners out there to subscribe to us on iTunes, and please leave us a review. If, if you like the show and you're wondering how you can help us out, just go to iTunes and leave us a review, unless you hate the show. Unless you don't like our take on Dexter, then just do nothing. Just stop listening. But if you like us, please go leave a positive review. That would be a huge help. Charlie, overall, the feedback to this podcast has been pretty positive. But we have gotten a few negative comments from people, mainly because some people think that we, uh, we, we, we complain too much about the show. Do you think that's true, Charlie? I mean... I definitely think I have been harsh, and yeah, I've definitely made a lot of complaints about the show in the past few weeks, so yeah, I do complain sometimes, and I'm not always proud about the fact that I have more negative things to say than positive things, but I do want to say the reason I complain is because I want this show to be good, and I've been uh, a fan of this show for years, and when it's been great, it's it's really, really solid television. So if I seem whiny and obnoxious, I apologize, but it's only because I want the show to be, uh, I want this final season of the show to be a complete knockout. Right. And I, I just want to reiterate, we've said this on the show before, but Charlie, you and I are both fans of Dexter, but we're, we're not like die hard obsessive fanatics about it. Uh, we've, we've only seen the series once. We have not gone back to rewatch previous seasons, so we will occasionally forget things that have happened. And if, if you're listening right now and you're like a hardcore obsessed Dexter fan and you just want us to gush about the program, this is not the podcast for you. There are other Dexter podcasts out there that you can go listen to. Like all of the shows on Film Geek Radio, this is meant to be a more analytical and at times critical podcast where we really analyze what we like and what we don't like and, and figure out what's working and why. So we will not always love everything about the show. Just just be aware of that. However, Charlie, I think you you would agree with me. We wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hated Dexter. No, not at all. <laughs> the, the the only reason we are doing this podcast is because we have followed the show from the very beginning, and we like it overall, and we think there's a lot of potential and a lot of interesting things it's doing, and we just want to see that all come to a satisfying conclusion. We would not be doing a weekly show 
if we hated watching Dexter? Why would we why would we torture ourselves that way? That just sounds so masochistic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Our frustration with the show comes from the fact that we want the show to succeed. We care about what the show is saying thematically. We care about these characters. That's why we want to see it executed well. Yes, so I just want to reiterate up front, we like Dexter as a show overall. We are not obsessive fanboys about it. We are not going to gush about everything. And if we think that the show is handling certain elements poorly, we will talk about that. Uh, so yeah, just just wanted to make that clear up front. And thank you to to everyone that does listen, and thank you to everyone that writes in and corrects us whenever we, we make a mistake, because... As mentioned, we, we we aren't experts on this stuff, and we don't remember everything that happened. So thank you <laughs> for reminding us of things that we forget. Yes, I thank you very much, because I know I can seem pretentious in my cynicism towards this show, but I'm not one to just brush off opinions or brush off other facts and be stubborn and keep arguing about how I'm always going to be right about this show. So yeah, thank you to everyone who has given us feedback and left us comments and uh, given us a rating on iTunes. All right, let's dive into this episode. This is episode number seven of Avenging Angels, focused on the sixth episode of season eight of Dexter. The episode is titled A Little Reflection. It was written by Jace Richdale and directed by John Dahl. Charlie, why don't you go ahead and give a quick recap of the episode? So, after spying on Zach Hamilton in hopes of finding evidence to link him to the murder of Norma Rivera, Dexter is shocked to see that he's become Dr. Vogel's new client, who has her own agenda for him in teaching him the code, which Dexter has mixed feelings on, to say the least. Batista has also decided to promote Angie to Sergeant as opposed to Quinn, which upsets both Quinn and Jamie. Elway asks Deb to spy on his brother-in-law in in hopes of him uh, finding him cheating on his sister to confirm his suspicions that the man is an adulterer. Masuka is also having trouble with his relationship with Nikki after he decides to give her $5,000 because he's paranoid that she has come to him for his money as opposed to wanting to meet him as her father. Dexter is also confronting Harrison about breaking the TV remote and is beginning to wonder how much he can be honest with his son, considering that Harrison is now getting to that point where he is beginning to be dishonest with his dad. When Dexter finally decides to take matters into his own hands with Zack, Zack basically begins to cry, stating that he can't control his urges to kill, much like Dexter can't. Ultimately, Dexter's sympathy for Zack wins him over, and he decides to remove him from the table, set him free, and take him on as a possible protege. When he's starting to tell Deb about this news, she begins to feel woozy, passes out, and it's shockingly revealed that Hannah has entered the room and has decided to possibly take revenge on Dexter and Deb. Yes, so kind of a cliffhanger ending there. All right, here's a clip. Have you taken on Zach Hamilton as a patient? It's nice to see you, too. I have to protect you from another murderer now? How did he even get to you? His father contacted me because of my reputation for working with psychopaths. He's concerned about his son's behavior, his propensity for violence. I think it's more than a propensity. I think Zach Hamilton killed Norma Rivera. I take it that you followed him here today because you're planning to kill him. The thought had crossed my mind, yes, if I can find solid proof. 
well, it would seem that we have a conflict of interests. I don't believe this. You're going to work with another killer after what happened with Yates? Dexter, I appreciate your concern, but I'm not going to talk about Zach Hamilton with you any further. It wouldn't be ethical. All right, Charlie, there were some big developments in this episode, specifically regarding Zach Hamilton. So I think we should probably leave everything with Zach for our main topic. So to start out, what did you think overall of this episode? Well, it is a much stronger episode than the past two episodes that I basically just think have been disastrous. I have mixed feelings on this episode. Uh, On one hand, it was definitely a very entertaining episode compared to the past two, but I still feel like a lot of these subplots are very underwhelming, and we'll leave details about the Zach Hamilton plot to the end, but a lot of his plotline with Dexter, I'm just having a lot of difficulty uh, buying, and everything surrounding that plot are subplots that as I've stated in previous episodes, I find to be hard to care about. Batista promoting Angie to sergeant, this probably makes me terrible, but I actually think that Batista should be promoting Angie to sergeant because we have not seen Quinn be a great cop throughout the entire show. Well, we haven't seen Angie do anything, so I guess we can just assume that maybe she's a better cop than Quinn. That's true. Oh, I also love how um, it almost seems like the show's trying to be to show how liberal they are when Batista confronts um, Matthews about it, and he's like, I know you want me to make Angie sergeant because she's got the better score, and then Matthew says, she's African-American, she's a female, and it's almost like the show's like, look how like politically correct we're being, and yet Angie's not in this episode. <laughs> I think there's a shot of her uh, typing away in her office, and that's about it. Uh, maybe she was off partying somewhere. Do you think that was a jab at affirmative action? Like, hey, we know everyone watching wants Quinn to be sergeant because you've been following Quinn for the past few seasons, but nope, we have to give it to the black woman that you know nothing about. No, yeah, I definitely think it was a jab at that, but I wish they would try and make her a character as we have complained about in the past. This would have been a great episode to see some tension between her and Quinn now that she's been officially promoted, but I guess that, I don't know, she's like probably at the bar doing tequila shots with her friends or something. I have no idea. But uh, Elway's subplot, where he asked Deb to spy on his brother-in-law, I get what they're trying to do with comparing it to Deb discovering the truth about Dexter and how sometimes discovering the truth could be painful. But we kind of already covered that in episode three when there was that other assignment that Deb was on to find the other woman's husband cheating on her. So I felt like that was basically just a repeat, only it was supposed to bring Deb and Elway together in a way that shows how much chemistry they have. But I'm not sold on that either. It almost felt like an episode of that reality show Cheaters where like they hire that camera crew to like spy on people and then when they catch them in the act they're like Cheaters! Like we caught you! And like that's literally what it felt like only in an episode of Dexter and I just found that to be a little corny and kind of been there done that for this season. Masuka's relationship with Nikki I felt like you know I felt bad for Masuka maybe because Masuka is one of the more likable characters on this show. But I can't say that this development is surprising or all that satisfying. It's just kind of a scene of her getting upset and walking away. And 
I mean, it was it was handled fine, but you know, once again, this subplot just feels like filler. Like they're just trying to fill in a fifty minute block with all of these subplots that I I just don't feel like are that significant to what is going on with the main plot line right now. Oh, and Cassie, Dexter's dates with Cassie are boring. Well, that's because he doesn't know how to do them. He he's a ter- he's terrible at dating. Yeah, I I I know. Um, I did like the line about him going. Actually, I don't. I don't know what I'm talking about. That was one of the things that was one of the lines that made me feel like, okay, Dexter, you're relatably human. And it felt like a nice little that that scene was nice. But then, you know, Jamie just keeps popping up and goes, you know, she's she's really attractive. A lot of men are going after her. You should you should get on it. And I'm just kind of like, why should we care? Well, right. Well, 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 I mean, Dexter, there's no indication that he really cares we haven't really gotten the impression yet that he's he he really likes her and it kind of reminded me of back in season 1 when he was dating Rita and he wasn't very social at all and he was mainly just doing it for appearances so we we've never really gotten any indication that Dexter's great at meeting women who are not killers themselves i agree with you absolutely it did remind me of the first season where he's like i don't understand the appeal of sex and he's basically saying what he feels like someone in a relationship should say i just wish they do more with her except for her showing up at bars and jamie just leading him on i will say though even though i found this episode to be a mess overall i was i did get pretty excited by the cliffhanger in which hannah shows up and uh it's implied that she has drugged deb i have no idea where they could be going with hannah it could just be another subplot that they're using as filler but at least this episode left us with a cliffhanger and it left me actually wanting to watch the next episode compared to last week's where it just seemed like there were no stakes at all and everything was fine, and they're all one big happy killing family. And in this episode, even though some of the subplots didn't work as well as others, they've at least developed them, and they've raised the stakes, and they are adding tension to the plot. Okay, well, Charlie, you and I are going to have quite an interesting discussion, because whereas you were mixed on this episode... I kind of loved this episode. I think it might be my favorite episode of the season so far. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I think if the writing of this show was at this level, every episode, Dexter could be an incredible show. It seemed like every plot line, sure, some were more developed than others, but every plot line at least felt like it was developed in some way. It didn't feel stuck in stasis. And it felt like the show was getting back to what it does best, which is explore some of these ideas about secrets and killing and whether or not Harry is someone worth emulating. And I love how they're developing Zach. I I, I just think this episode in many ways fixed all of the problems I had with last week's episode. Suddenly, the plot lines that I really didn't care about last episode became super interesting. And I'm not sure if it's just because this episode was directed by John Dahl, who's been a regular on the show since, I think, season three. And he usually directs three or four episodes every season. So he's one of their their main go-to guys, and I just feel like he really knows what he's doing, and he's directed a few 
films as well as directed a, a lot of episodes of television and i just feel like he had a really strong grasp on everything and i was just kind of blown away by how good this episode was compared to the last two episodes i don't know what to do charlie because i feel like this show is playing with my emotions you know <laughs> first it starts out really great then it gets pretty awful and now this episode suddenly it's really great again and i'm like i don't know what to do <laughs> i don't know what to think maybe that's why i'm feeling so mixed on it is i'm almost getting like defensive about my emotions because i'm like i don't i mean i will admit a lot of it a, a lot of the subplots didn't work for me but i will admit they were a lot better i definitely wasn't bored by much of this episode i do agree with you it felt like even the plot lines that i don't care for at all like who gets to be sergeant it moves along it, it they know you're right and all of the subplots have taken a step forward they're not stuck in a stasis mode I did think that the writing was a little better. I still have... I, I There were still a mo few moments where I laughed out loud, but uh, I feel like this episode had a better sense of humor about itself, too. For some reason, I feel like it was almost campier than... Or, or, or more aware of how campy it was compared to the past few episodes. And there were definitely moments where I thought that the show recaptured some of its pitch black humor from earlier seasons, like when Harrison picks out the puppy that's like stained with blood... And he's like, you told me that he was dirty and you threw him away, but I, I saw him put, you put him in the trash and he's better. And then he's like, oh yeah, he is better. And then in voiceover, he's soaked in blood that links me to a murder. Like that sort of stuff I thought was <laughs> pretty spot on. I do have a lot of problems with Zach Hamilton as a character, but we'll get back into that later on in the episode. Okay, well, we'll, we'll start off with specifics. Let's talk about one of the plot lines you said that you didn't really care much for, which is everything with Deb and Elway. Yeah. Investigating Elway's brother-in-law. Yeah, it's not the most original plot line, but I liked it because it seemed to be at least touching on some development for the character of Deb. We've guessed earlier in this season that, hey, maybe there's something between her and her boss, and now we, we are starting to get the indication that he definitely has feelings for her. She maybe doesn't feel that way in return. I just liked how suddenly he's bringing his personal life into the job and he's using that to try and get close to Deborah. And he ends up punching out his brother in law just to like defend her honor. And this is after he's told Deb, hey, you can go out and be a player. It's okay. But uh, he, he doesn't want her uh, flirting too much with people he knows. Yeah. It wasn't the most original plot line. I was just thinking to myself, well, hey, at least they're they're doing stuff with it. At least it seems to be important to these characters. I mean, we, we haven't really gotten much from Elway before other than he's her boss. So now we're finally starting to see some of the complex ways in which their relationship could develop. I agree with you. I guess I just don't find Elway to be that compelling of a character, and I just felt that this plot line was very soapy, and I just found it to be kind of silly. And I feel like what they're trying to say thematically about the downside to discovering the truth is something that they already explored earlier this season, and I just... I don't feel like there's a ton of chemistry between Elway and Deb. I, I've never really found their scenes to be that interesting even from the beginning of the season i don't i mean i don't feel like we know that much about elway and yeah the show definitely attempted to give him some more layers here 
I didn't care for the way it was executed. And I feel like this is another scene this season where a conflict is resolved by a character punching another character in the face. And then that character who gets hit going, you're an asshole and walking away. And then the character who punches them spills out their emotions to the character watching. It just didn't really do anything for me. Well, I thought it was interesting, at least, that she basically just chooses to put on the mic in public. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I was just watching Elway during that scene as she's doing that. And I gotta say, I can't... Oh, I I always forget the name of the actor who plays Elway. Uh, Sean Patrick Flannery. Yes, Sean Patrick Flannery. He did a really good job of communicating how Elway does kind of seem like a nice guy. Like, he's doing everything he can not to look and to at least appear like a decent person. And he seems kind of surprised that she would be doing that in public. Earlier in the season, he kind of came across to me as this potentially sleazy, (laughs) over-tanned individual. But he, in this episode, he, I've actually started to believe that maybe he could be overall a good person. Yeah. Just because that's an opportunity where maybe you could read it as Deb was flirting with him or testing him, and he didn't really take the bait. So I was like, okay, all right, you're 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 not a total scumbag. Uh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll see if that goes any further. Mm-hmm. That little detail I didn't actually notice. I do like that uh, you pointed that out to me because that does it is little moments like that. I do forget that the show is capable of having little moments like that to show character development, maybe because it isn't that subtle 90% of the time, but little touches like that are quite vital to drama in general, and I feel like I wish I paid attention to that because that is a little moment that does show a side of his character that we haven't really seen yet. Do you want to talk about the uh, Sergeant subplot? Yes, let's talk about Quinn. Because this episode, one of the reasons it blew me away is that it was finally doing with stuff with Quinn that they probably should have done in episode four. Mm-hmm. Quinn, now, you know, he, he doesn't get promoted to sergeant. So now he's all about the normal Rivera case. And he's like, we have to go track Zach Hamilton. And I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe if you were this gung-ho about it an episode or two ago, you would have gotten that promotion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And also, now he's in the car with Dexter asking, well, hey, how's your sister doing? It's so weird that she would uh, confess to killing the Guerta. Hmm, what's going on there? You know, and I'm thinking, Quinn, those are the questions you should have asked in episode four. You're a little slow, (laughs) but I'm glad you finally (laughs) reached that point. (laughs) Another, yeah, another strength of this episode is I feel like that was a good moment where I was like, well, thank you, writers. You're finally getting the characters to ask questions that they should have. You're right. They should have asked like two episodes ago. Um, Just to go off topic real quickly, Deb says something about Vogel. Yeah, but she knows everything about us and we don't know Jack about her. And I'm just like, why didn't you use that in last week's episode as like a way to be almost conflicted about rescuing her? Yeah. So I feel like this episode definitely got the characters to finally say things that have been on the viewers' minds the entire time that uh, the characters have not acknowledged up until this point, and that did satisfy me. Going back to Quinn, I I love how he's, like, all upset about being not being promoted to sergeant, but he's still, like, the dumbest cop 
in the Miami PD, <laughs> you know, like the scene where he's, you know, they're spying on Zach Hamilton and Dexter in voiceover is like, he's not staring at the class. He's staring at that one woman. Luckily, Quinn's not looking at her right now, though. And then, you know, later, Dexter knocks Zach out. And Quinn goes, I know what you're doing. You're spying on Zach Hamilton, aren't you? And Zach Hamilton's like lying <laughs> at Dexter's feet when he's hidden behind trash cans or something. And he's just like, well, let me know how it goes and drives away. And I'm like, yeah, this is exactly why you didn't get promoted to Sergeant Quinn, because you <laughs> suck at your job. I liked that moment because it added kind of a jolt of tension. Like, oh, did Quinn see what Dexter is doing? Because Quinn, he, w- he did have his suspicions about Dexter in season, I want to say, six. Who knows, maybe something could happen where suddenly those suspicions will resurface. I like how, in this episode, the Jamie-Quinn relationship finally matters to the plot. Yes. Where Dexter is able to call Jamie and say, Quinn's really bummed out about not getting promoted. You should call him. He's worried you're going to break up with him. And that becomes a means of getting Quinn out of the picture and i was just like finally you did you made it matter thank you writers yeah and not only did you make it matter you had dexter actually tell the truth instead of lie to jamie uh, completely lie to jamie because quinn does say that when they're sitting in the car and that was something that i noticed too that i thought was really refreshing where i'm like oh dexter's actually using an actual reason to distract someone instead of just, you know, completely bullshitting them outright. You know, like, that is something that Quinn was worried about. So it's not like Quinn's going to go home to Jamie and they're, and she's he's going to be like, you know, Jamie's going to be all over him and he's going to be like, what are you talking about? And blah, 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 blah. Like, they're actually going to have a conversation that will develop their relationship off screen, of course. But, you know, at least Dexter came up with a good excuse, except for, you know, apart from something that is just a complete lie and, you know, we're smacking our foreheads going, oh my God, how can anyone believe this? Right, right. And I I like how even in just his few moments with Dexter in the car, Quinn kind of touches on some of the, the themes that the show has done a good job of bringing up in the past where he says, phrase, we've, we've all got the shit. Big difference is some people get away with it and some people don't. And I like how they're finally bringing back that idea of, hey, everyone, including you, the audience, we all have stuff, we all have secrets, we all have shit that we want to keep hidden, uh, and some of us get away with it and some of us don't. And that's to me, is one of the, uh, the main themes of the show, just because that's what the opening credit sequence has always been about. <laughs> that's very true, yeah. How, how, how everyday actions and everyday people can hide violence or hide secrets and there's violence inherent in in everyday life so i thought that was a nice little nod to some of those themes and i was just like thank you writers you're just you're really on your a game this episode (laughs) yeah no that's a that's a good point too yeah no I, i i totally agree with you on that that's a nice comparison to the opening credits too because i didn't really uh link those two together until you just pointed that out yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I've ever talked about it on the podcast, but I think the opening credit sequence of Dexter is one of the best opening credit sequences I've ever seen. It's just, it's so perfect the way it's this kind of upbeat tune set to shots of Dexter getting ready and eating breakfast in the morning, but the way they shoot it 
every action seems violent or somehow sinister. Yeah. I, I just, it's, it's one of the best credit sequences I think I've ever seen, not just because it's visually interesting, because it really drives home some of the, uh, the themes that the show is, is dealing with. And so I love it whenever those ideas get brought up in the show. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you the way it's shot, like how there's a shot of him, like just, you know, eating ham and it's just the sound effects of the crunching make it sound so savage. And, you know, even him just cracking open an egg and then eating it and there's like ketchup or something like left on the plate and him flossing his teeth. These are things that we all do every day. And you're right. Like it just, the way it's shot and edited makes these routine morning schedule just appear to be unsettling and just savage in its own way. Yeah. And actually, Earlier this week, Showtime released the first draft of the credit sequence um, that, that they had planned on using. And visually, it's very close to what we ended up with. But the music and the font is very different, and it's a lot more foreboding. And executives thought that it would be a little bit too dark to open the show with mm-hmm. every week. Um and it just it feels completely different, even though visually it's the same. And I, I I like how ultimately they went with a version that seems on the surface to be more upbeat, but the imagery seems to suggest that maybe there's something darker behind the surface. Yeah, and it also makes the tone like darkly satirical, which right Dexter used to be great with, and uh, I think it's kind of floundered that aspect of the, in that aspect of the show. Like, I, I don't think that the humor has been as spot on as it has in previous seasons, but I will say this is the funniest episode of this season so far. And I think it was intended to be like, you know, uh, as I said, with the scene with Harrison and the, the uh, stuffed animal, I don't know, like even just like really corny stuff, like Batista talking to Matthews and Matthews just hands it to him and then just says, time to grow a set of balls and you're a lieutenant now. Like, I don't know if that was supposed to be funny, but like it just seems so <laughs> like, so like the writers were so aware of how campy this character is that it I, I just right. couldn't help but laugh. And uh, they weren't taking themselves as seriously as they had been in the past two episodes. And I think that self-seriousness can really kill the show because this show is ridiculous and it has been for a while. And when they give off a tone that shows that, Hey, you know, we we're still having fun with this. We're not taking, this isn't like accurate docudrama of a serial killer. I feel like when the show's at its most playful, whether that be violently or uh, with a dark sense of humor, I feel like it's the most successful. Well, the last thing I want to say about everything with Quinn is that the stuff at the end when Dexter goes to the restaurant or the bar or whatever, excuse me, the uh, the yacht, was it the yacht club? Yes, yes, it was the yacht club that uh, Zach Hamilton's father owned, I believe. Yeah, when he goes there to catch Zach, it just bugged me a little bit because he calls the yacht club and is like, hey, is Sofia Fuentes working tonight and they say oh yeah she'll be off in a few minutes next scene he's there and zach is still there and he somehow made it in time even though she was about to get off work in just a few minutes (laughs) yeah and uh you know usually when you call a place like that they'd be like who's calling please you know like they wouldn't just say oh yeah she'll be off in a few minutes to a complete stranger who didn't even give his name or what his relationship to this person is 
I mean, I, either Dexter was really close to the yacht club, or he's a really fast driver. Um, <laughs> I, I was like, wait, writers, would it have been that hard to be like, oh, she gets off in an hour? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah, she gets off in five minutes. That's just convenient for the plot. Yeah, that was a bit of a contrivance. In terms of other plot lines, the Masuka subplot with his daughter, you know, again, it seems like they're they're giving this subplot one scene per episode to really develop or one major scene per episode that really is pushing this along in this episode he basically tries to give his daughter five thousand dollars to help her pay off her debts because deb basically convinced him hey even if she is just coming to you for money at least it's family so why not enjoy it and just accept it and it was this was it was an okay scene um, it's one of those scenes where I feel like in real life, people would be much more tactful <laughs> about it. And Masuka, in, in real life, if you were uh, about to give a stranger $5,000, you would let them know, hey, I just wanted to, to have a serious conversation with you and let you know I was concerned. I did some research into you. I hope you're not too offended. And, you know, I, people would try to be a little bit more tactful about it beyond just saying, here's five grand. I've been looking into your life. Yeah. But at the same time, I was okay with that because Masuka is terrible with relationships. And I think he's been to a number of strip clubs throughout this show. And true, I feel like he doesn't really know what to do. I agree with you. Not exactly a realistic scene. And what bugs me about it a little bit is that they tell us without showing us all the time, like Masuka says, oh, well, she always happens to forget her purse whenever, you know, we're going out to eat. And we've only seen that once. So we don't know if she's forgot how many times she's forgotten her purse. And it feels like the writers are just kind of jerking us around with this plot line because they're like, hey, look, she's she might be really, you know, uh, suspicious and she might just be out for Masuka's money. And then she has a freak out, uh, which is understandable. I mean, I understand why that character would freak out, but it's like the writers are kind of like uh, just manipulating us. They need to make it dramatic. Yeah, they need to make it dramatic, and they need to make it dramatically compelling to the point where we feel like we would understand Masuka. Like, I, we understand why Masuka feels this way about his daughter, but we've only seen one scene of that, so it feels like, like what they've been doing in the past two episodes, where they just, you know, use a shortcut, and then they just tell the audience what has been going on, and then expect them to be emotionally attached to, or, or emotionally convinced by this subplot. I, I was willing to go with it, though, just because it's not a major subplot in the show, yet it's still very much on the side. So if, I kind of feel like maybe they only need to give us one scene, her asking him for money to pay for food. And I'm I'm willing to believe that, okay, that's enough cause for him to be suspicious. The thing that weirded me out the most in this episode was the fact that he's giving her $5,000, and I was thinking, wait... Masuka, do you have a big savings account or do you, I mean, do you not blow all your money on strip clubs? Uh, how much money do you make a year? I tried to do a little bit of research and the best I could come up with is that most forensics and, you know, CSI type technicians, lab technicians, they make on average 50 grand a year, 
you know, 40 to 50 grand. So $5,000 is a considerable chunk of change for him to be handing out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I completely agree with you there. (laughs) I kind of wanted a little bit of acknowledgement about that. Like, yeah, this is really going to put a dent in my savings, but here you go, or, you know, something. She does react to it, though, and be like, she as soon as she sees that it's $5,000, she laughs, and she's like, what? You're giving this to me? I, w- I guess I was okay with that, because, you know, Masuka doesn't have anything else going on in his life apart from strip clubs and booze and pornography. We don't know that much about Masuka, even though we've been watching him for eight seasons. I, I was willing to go with that. I just felt like, I feel like this subplot is just being really rushed. And like you said, it's only one scene per episode. And so by giving us these big developments all at once, I feel like they're just trying to just rush it to the point where we'll be compelled. But I just have a hard time buying it. That's interesting that you say that because I don't feel like it's being rushed enough. I feel like it's going through one beat per episode where first it's, I have a daughter, then it's, my daughter might not have the purest intentions, then it's next episode, maybe my daughter does have pure intentions and I've made a huge mistake. It's just, it's just one beat of development every episode, and I feel like that's probably a good pace. I'm just hoping that starting next episode, they'll get to something I couldn't have seen coming. Yeah. Something that feels a little bit more organic and doesn't just feel like the writers trying to make things dramatic at that same party scene where uh masuka confronts nikki this is jamie's birthday party and dexter is kind of maybe trying to flirt with cassie but it's not really going well and she apparently has this new guy that she could be interested named oliver Uh, I cannot remember the actor's name, but I've seen him before. The last thing he was on was that ABC series Last Resort that got canceled. He's from Iceland. That's all I can remember about the actor. So if you're listening, I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Cassie is potentially interested in him now. And while on the one hand, I'm kind of like, yeah, Dexter isn't really good at dating, so this is kind of funny uh, that that he's not really making much progress with her. On the other hand, I'm kind of like, well, this Cassie storyline feels pointless. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like, that ultimately went nowhere. They talk about what type of beer they want and the fact that uh, since it has a moose on it, it must be good. (laughs) <laughs> you know, if there's, well, if there's well, well, see, that's the that's the kind of banter Dexter should be having with her. Yeah, but th- this Oliver guy, he's just he seems like a regular dude. He's gonna come up and be like, "Hey, I got you the the beer with the moose on it." And at the same time, Jamie is just constantly reminding him about Cassie to the point where it's just obnoxious, and I almost want him to tell her off. That that being said, I did like how it was Jamie's birthday party, and for once, Jamie was barely, but she was somewhat vital to the plot. Well, Jamie has switched beats. Jamie has switched her, her purpose in every episode. It used to be, I exist in this episode to fight with Quinn. 
now it's I exist in this episode to remind Dexter he needs to get with Cassie. Yeah. At the same time, I did like, um, as we said before, how she was successfully used to distract Quinn from Dexter hunting down uh, Zach. You know, once again, the sergeant plot line's really clunky. I mean, like, I love what Edder... She's like, thanks for coming to my birthday party, everyone. And congratulations to Quinn, who's sergeant now. And it cuts to Batista taking off his sunglasses viciously. And I died laughing at a shot like that. (laughs) It was just so, like, dun-dun-dun. Like, it was just so hilariously over the top. And um, I actually was surprised by Quinn saying, oh, whatever. He, You know, he got the position. And then... I, I understand that, you know, Quinn's Jamie's boyfriend and everything like that, but her saying, why can't Quinn be good for the job? Can't you see how good Quinn is for the job? And I get the drama. I think I get that that's an interesting, you know, conflict to have between these three characters. But part of me is kind of like, you know, Batista is doing his job. He does have to be a professional. And yeah, that's really obnoxious. I'd be annoyed too if he egged me on to just take the sergeant exam. You know, like, I, I feel like Batista shouldn't have, like, so uh, promised, like, like so implied that if Quinn takes a sergeant exam and he does well, he will automatically be hired. At the same time, Batista is doing his job. Yeah, I actually like how some of those tensions really came out in this episode. And it's finally felt like the sergeant plotline mattered mm-hmm. to these characters and was really important. And I was finally able to buy into that. One thing that they've never touched on that I was curious about this entire episode was if Batista gave Quinn the position, couldn't he be accused of favoritism because Quinn is dating his sister? I'm not sure if there could be any legal ramifications or if just socially it might look really bad if, if he did that. But they've never brought that up, which I thought was surprising, because you'd think if Angie found out Quinn was dating Jamie, she'd be a little, she'd be kind of pissed off, like, well, hey, Quinn has an unfair advantage. Yeah, and then she could talk to the detective about that. See, you're coming up with better ideas for Angie than the writers are. Like, that's a really, (laughs) you know, that that would make sense, and that would make Angie a character. I'm not going to lie, part of me wanted... After um, that huge fight of, why didn't you make Quinn sergeant? I Part of me wanted Angie to show up just hammered right next to Quinn and be like, no hard feelings, right, man? <laughs> I mean, we're cool. Because uh, where was she? she? She was off trying to solve crimes. <laughs> she was off doing her job. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to everything with Zach is Harrison... Harrison murdered the TV remote. Is this a sign? (laughs) (laughs) He was just trying to be a thunder rocket, and he broke it. Yeah, and earlier in this season, he murdered an entire box of popsicles. I think we're starting to see that Harrison... There could be a monster brewing inside Harrison. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what if Vogel gets a hold of him? (laughs) That might not end so well. (laughs) Harrison told me in our first meeting, he confessed to killing the TV remote. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I gave him alphabet blocks and he spelled out kill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like all the Harrison stuff in this episode because it does, again, not only does it imply that, hey, Harrison's, in, in some ways, he's just being a toddler, but the fact that 
he's Dexter's son means we're always going to question every violent thing he does. So there's that element. And then also the fact that he lies and basically calls Dexter out on his lies. And I had this crazy thought when Harrison tells Dexter, you lie too. I had this crazy thought like, oh my God, what if Harrison is some sort of four-year-old prodigy and he's going to walk over to the air conditioner and pull out all of Dexter's blood slides and be like, I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, uh, or he could be like uh, the reincarnated version of Brian, like that movie birth with Nicole Kidman, where that little boy's like, I'm your dead husband. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be really crazy. <laughs> but no, Harrison doesn't know all of Dexter's secrets. He just knows that Dexter threw away his stuffed animal and then lied about it. And it took me a while to remember, like, wait, did we see that happen this season? And then when Dexter said in the voiceover, yeah, he was covered in blood, I was reminded, oh, yeah, that was what happened in the first episode. Okay, I see what you're referring to now. Like many things in this episode, it seemed like the writers finally got around yeah. <laughs> to acknowledging it. Like, there were so many plot lines in this episode that I was thinking, they should have been bringing this up, you know, two or three episodes ago. But uh, they finally got around to it. So I, I, thought it, I thought it was nice. And you also had a moment of Dexter reflecting on himself and and kind of thinking well how long can i pull this off how long can i keep being who i am before harrison finds out and again you've got that idea starting to 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 surface well maybe i can change maybe i can stop maybe i should stop and that is where i think the show needs to be most of the time it needs to be questioning dexter and and who he is and whether or not he should be doing what he's doing. So I, I really liked that. Yeah, definitely. I, I do agree with you. It's got a lot has happened in this episode, and I'm thankful for that because it felt like even when stuff was happening in the past two episodes, it was either incoherent or very, very, very silly. I, I was never bored by this episode. It was definitely stuffed with a lot of plot lines, but I'm not sure that the pacing is selling me like or either that or I'm just not as compelled by some subplots in comparison to others because I definitely was checking to see how far into the episode we were because a lot of a lot happened but really the only thing that really got me amped up was the cliffhanger with Hannah which doesn't even make sense at this point because we don't know how she got or you know where she came from what she's doing there why she's hunting Dexter down I feel like these slower moments will definitely matter more when stuff starts to get bloody uh, within the final few episodes. Because as we c- complained about in episode four, like it felt like they just used shortcuts to get to dramatic highs without getting to the meat of anything at the core of these characters. And here they at least did try and have a few quiet moments and let these characters breathe. I, I'm not entirely on board with all of the plot lines per se, but I admire the fact that they did try and go at a slower pace. Well, since you brought it up, uh, we can talk about that final cliffhanger. I'm kind of concerned. I'm kind of worried that now that they're bringing Hannah back, I'm worried that, oh no, maybe all this stuff that I liked about this episode, maybe it's all going to go off the rails again. So we'll have to wait and see. But just as a final cliffhanger, 
And as a, as a way to end the episode, I just thought it was perfect. I, I felt like this episode did a really great job of pulling me in. It made me care about things I haven't cared about in a, in, in a long time. And then to just end it on that high note like that, I thought was perfect. And it was just like, wow, that was a really solid episode of television. Even if this stuff with Hannah isn't developed in a satisfying way, this introduction was perfect. Yeah, they got me hooked again. Like, I, it was the one part of the episode that genuinely surprised me because it starts off with Dexter going, I think that Zach might be my protege. And Deb's like, isn't that a bit of a big responsibility and at first I was like I'm not sure I'm going to buy this conversation and then Deb passes out and then she just shows up and I was like oh I really did not see that coming I'm not sure if this will make any logical sense but well what was brilliant about it is that when he reveals that he's going to take on an apprentice of sorts I think he calls Zach an intern and Deb starts to look queasy my first thought was this is incredible. The thought of Dexter turning someone else into a killer is going to make Deb rethink her acceptance of Dexter. It's going to make her want to turn him in again. It's going to finally get back to some of that core conflict that I like so much. And then to reveal that maybe she's reacting that way because of what he's saying, but on the other hand, maybe she's just reacting that way because she's been poisoned by Hannah, I thought was perfect. So now it's, it's kind of up in the air, you know, regardless of what happens with Hannah, how does Deb feel about Dexter taking on a protege? Because that's, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And, and we should probably talk about that right now, because that's kind of like the main development in this episode. Dexter decides Zach Hamilton could be his protege, and he's going to basically become Harry and teach this kid the code. I don't care for Zach Hamilton as a character. Maybe it's because I feel like in last week's episode, he was like the stereotypical creepy kid. He acted like Macaulay Culkin in The Good Son and Ezra Miller and We Need to Talk About Kevin, and he seems so one-dimensional. And I liked the fact that they definitely tried to make him dimensional here. They definitely tried to give this character motivation and get into his psyche as to why he likes to kill. But I guess that everything in this episode building up to that big reveal that he has this uncontrollable urge to kill just made him seem so heartless and so cold and so sociopathic. I, I think he even has a line where they're looking at like his wall of photos. And then he says to Dexter, oh, it's like, it's almost as if this chick bled out just for me. And I'm just like, this guy's a sleaze bag. And then when he's on the table crying and he's like, I can't help it. I have this uncontrollable urge. And I know you know what that feels like. I just felt like it was jarring to go from A to B so quickly that I just had trouble buying it. And considering that Dexter has already had an apprentice of sorts with uh, Miguel Prado in season three, I feel like this is just treading old ground and I'm kind of going, come on, Dexter, you've learned this lesson before. Don't fall for it again. I'm not saying you have to kill Zach. And I found his conversations with Vogel about Zach to be much more compelling than any of the interactions he had with Zach himself. Okay, well, the writers totally won me over in this episode. I think last episode, you're right, Zach was horribly written. He just showed up, looked creepy, and we knew, oh, he's a bad guy. In this episode, I love how 
they try really hard to make us view Zack as very similar to Dexter. He's the guy on the edge of the crime scene, taking all the pictures, fascinated by blood, who just seems overjoyed at the idea of getting to come behind the police tape. And it reminded me of what the video of Harry said when uh, there, there was that video of Harry talking to Vogel when he described taking Dexter to his first crime scene and how Dexter just seemed so in awe of everything. I like how they were sort of calling back to that. And I like how, yeah, at first it would be very easy to view Zack as a one-dimensional psychopath, but you start to see that that's not the case. He's not really killing these women because he wants to kill them. He only kills Normal Rivera because he wants to get back at his dad, and he's hoping that will keep his dad from having more affairs and hurting his mother. So, kind of like Dexter, it all goes back to his mommy issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to a certain extent. And then he's about to kill his, his father when Dexter stops him. And I thought that that was a really, really good reveal because it, it shows that, you know, this kid isn't just a cold-hearted bastard. He does seem to be doing it for the quote-unquote right reasons or better reasons i guess <laughs> yeah that than just to just to kill people so i i thought that they did a good job of making him a little bit more morally ambiguous and then when dexter has him on the table and he just says you know i i don't want to be like this but i can't help it that just it struck me as very similar to stuff that dexter has said when when we whenever we've seen flashbacks of Dexter as a teenager, that's always been his whole deal about how he doesn't want to be like this, but he just has these impulses and these compu- he just has these compulsions and he he doesn't know how to stop them. Yeah, I, I I see what you're saying. I guess I just had a hard time buying it because I feel like the writers are like, look how messed up this kid is. He's totally sociopathic because it's all from Dexter's point of view that when he starts to break down in tears. I just had a hard time buying it. And not to mention, he's just like, I'm just trying to protect my mom. He still killed an innocent woman who had an affair with his dad, who might not have even known that he was married. So Dexter's justifications for wanting to kill him. I understand. I'm not saying Dexter should kill him. I'm, I, I just found the conversations about Zach that he had with Vogel to be so much more interesting than any interaction that he had with Zach himself because I found Zach to just be very one-dimensional. And then when they add, when they, when they try and add those layers, I just had a hard time buying it because it felt like the writers were trying to whip us around just so quickly into saying, no, 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 he's he's just a really troubled kid. He's just really messed up, even though he says these terrible things about chicks bleeding out for him and oh i love blood and it just didn't feel it felt like it was parodying itself with dexter's flashbacks but yeah well that's the question how much of a sociopath is he and yes clearly he's very troubled yes he's killed people yes he has this fascination with blood but it's bringing up the questions that the series was founded on which is can he be changed is he destined to be a killer even though he says he doesn't really want to and he's he 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 doesn't want to have these impulses so if you believe that Zack is a total sociopath 
then you also have to believe that Dexter is a sociopath. But if you believe that Dexter is capable of change, you have to believe that maybe Zack is capable of change, which makes it even more horrifying when Vogel convinces Dexter that maybe they should teach him the code. Because if Zack can be changed, or he can be redeemed, so to speak, they're just going to end up sending him down the same dark path that Harry sent Dexter. And so I, I think that's really, really fascinating. You mentioned you really liked the conversations with Vogel. I thought they were interesting, but there's a moment when she basically tells Dexter, hey, due to doctor-client confidentiality, I can't reveal that Zach is a murderer. And I was thinking, wait, wait, wait. I'm pretty sure you can. Yeah. I will have to double-check this, but I'm pretty sure if a psychiatrist is treating a patient who admits to murdering someone, they have to go to the police. Or, or maybe I'm getting confused. Maybe they just have to go to the police if the client admits that they're thinking about or they're going to commit a crime. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure they should go to the police, but it's Vogel, so... <laughs> right. So I was fine with that. And I don't know, I just, I just really loved how it took this character of Dexter to a really dark place. I, I like how, even though, sure, you can argue maybe the development of Zack is a little rocky, I just think it's great how they're tying it back to Dexter. And now Dexter, he's becoming Harry. He's becoming the person that for a long time, I know Rachel from Dexter cast and myself and maybe a, a few other people would have said was the main villain of the show. Harry, yeah, for 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 basically creating this Frankenstein monster. I mean, and when Dexter uses the phrase "spiritual father," and how now he's going to be Zach's spiritual father, it just was perfect. It gave me chills. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Now Vogel has her new Harry. What's going to happen now? I just think it opens up a lot of doors for potential character development and some real exploration of some of those foundational themes that we talked about at near the beginning of the season. Uh, and I'm glad they're finally going back to that origin of Dexter. And now they're having him, now they're having that origin story basically repeat itself. And I think that's really fascinating. So I cannot wait to see where this plot line goes. I'm hoping the reemergence of Hannah doesn't ruin it. Yeah, because I don't know what they're going to do with Hannah, but as you said, as a cliffhanger, it definitely was the most effective part of the episode. But going back to what you were saying, I definitely respect what the writers are attempting to flesh out of this theme because it is the most vital uh, part of this season so far is does Dexter... Was Dexter saved by the code, or was he destroyed by the code? And to see him wrestling with that is fascinating. It forces the viewer to think about the same thing and put us in Dexter's spot, because Dexter keeps saying that he... He, he can never make up his mind on whether the code saved him or destroyed him. Is he a monster, or is he, you know, an avenging angel? I, I agree with you on that. I just feel like it's gotten to the point where Dexter has befriended so many people, and this just all goes to hell. Like I said earlier with Miguel Prado, that part of me just wants to, like, slap him across the face, like, reach into the TV and slap him across the face and be like, you idiot, you've done this so many times. It felt like a mixture between Miguel Prado and uh, Lumen, the, the Julia Stiles character, only instead of the urge to kill for revenge, he has this uh, psychological issue. I feel like I'm being really cynical, and I probably am. I just I just don't find Zach Hamilton to be 
that interesting of a character. Maybe it's the actor who plays him. I don't know. Maybe. And I feel like they just push the sympathy card at the end without mercy, just to like, they just milked up the drama all in one scene instead of, uh, yeah, there's that one scene where he's talking to someone on the phone, maybe his dad and says, oh, are you drunk again? Okay, I'm sorry. I have to go, Dexter. Like, that was okay. But I just feel like for the most part, they milked our sympathy for like the sympathy button, like, uh, with, you know, rapidly to the point where it just felt a little contrived to me. That That's fair. That's fair. And to a certain extent, I'm not sure it matters how much we care about Zack, because the show isn't titled Zack. The show is titled Dexter. This is this is a show about Dexter, so I'm mainly excited for this storyline insofar as how Zack will allow the writers to develop Dexter and where they will take him. Even if Zack isn't a really compelling character or the actor isn't great, I'm just excited for how he could be used as a character to develop Dexter. Even little things like how Dexter arguably has a little bit of an ego about being the one psychopath who knows the code. At first, when Vogel suggests that they should teach Zack the code, he gets kind of upset, and I wasn't sure why he was upset, and it it kind of struck me as, well, is he upset because maybe he feels like he's special, and he's the only one, and if they teach Zack the code, maybe Dexter's not quite as special anymore, and and Vogel even has to end the conversation by saying something like, well, no, you're one of a kind. There there will never be anyone quite like you, Dexter. So I just thought that was that was interesting, you know, how will, how will teaching Zack the code change Dexter's view of himself and how special he is? Yeah, and I feel like another reason he was upset about it is not too long ago, you know, it's been a few episodes, but, you know, he found all those notes on Yates' computer about how, you know, Vogel's just studying him. Like, at one point he says, this isn't a science project. And I feel like he's also worried about Vogel's motivations to study Zach like this and feeling that Zach is unstable, one, and that he could be a danger to Vogel, which I love her reaction, which is basically like, whatever, I work with dangerous people all the time. Who cares? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> she basically just shuts him up, and I kind of love that because I feel like that's very true to the how over-the-top that character is. But, you know, part of me was also thinking... He still doesn't trust Vogel entirely. I mean, like, yeah, they all went out to rescue her, and that was, like, a really bizarre, rushed subplot from the past episodes. But, you know, he he did almost leave her before this happened because he was pretty upset that is she genuinely caring about Dexter as this psychopath, or is she just, you know, manipulating him for her own personal needs and knowledge You know, like, I think he's both concerned that, A, he could kill Vogel if this happens, or B, if he doesn't kill Vogel, Vogel will turn him into a monster like me. And yeah, I'm sure jealousy came into it, too, because Dexter, he is one of a kind. Even though Deb's kind of on board with him killing now, she's not, she doesn't have the thirst that he has for it. Those are valid points to bring up. I do agree with you. Right. And the last thing I'll say, because I I forgot to mention it earlier. I, I like how Deborah and Dex are having a little bit of trouble communicating in this episode. They don't quite seem to know how to act around each other. 
after everything that happened in episodes four and five. So theoretically, everything is okay between them, but you get the impression maybe things aren't really okay. And so that's why I was so excited at the end when uh, Dexter reveals he's taking on Zach as an intern and uh, Deborah <laughs> kind of looks surprised because I- I'm really hoping that this plot line will be used to dive back into the Deborah character and explore, well, how does she feel about all of this stuff? Because we've said before, she could and arguably should be the core of this season. I, I just want her to get away from Elway. I I liked the scenes with her and Dexter a lot more. And yeah, uh, you know, the scene where they eat the steak was a nice little moment, and it does prove how awkward they were. At first, I, I did watch this episode twice, and the first time I watched it, I was like, that was horribly writ- like written and awkward, because like... She's like, this steak tastes like asshole. Let's order pizza. Okay, sure, I'll call the number. Put pineapple on mine, but not on my side. And then she just looks at the steak and goes, sorry, cow. And I'm just like, that is the weirdest scene. <laughs> like, wait, what? But I agree with you. The second time I watched it, I definitely uh, saw your perspective more where they're just struggling to be normal. And what I was worried about based off of last week's episode was they were like, it's, it's okay. We love each other again. Nothing's wrong. We just kill people. And that's just a little abnormal, but it doesn't matter. We're a family again. And I like that they're still having trouble acting normal because they're both like, wow, we're really screwed up, but we always talk about how screwed up we are. Let's try not to acknowledge that this time. And Instead, they just have some of the most uncomfortable dialogue in recent memory. (laughs) Yeah, overall, this episode just made me really wish that we could go back in time and restructure this season and get rid of a lot of the stuff with the brain surgeon and Deb and them becoming a happy family that we had in the last two episodes and replace it with some of this stuff that we got, that we finally got in this episode, whether it's everything with Zach or the Quinn plotline finally feeling like it paid off to a certain extent or finally being relevant to, to the plot of an episode. I was just thinking, man, episodes four and five now just seem so... They just seem even worse in comparison. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because there were so many plot lines that should have been touched on in those two episodes that they didn't get to until this one. So it just it just feels like this uh, really unnecessary delay yeah. <laughs> for a lot of these developments. Dexter's always been such a schizophrenic show. It can literally go from horrible to great in one episode. Like the season six finale, I thought was terrible. The seventh season, the premiere of the seventh season, I think was one of the best episodes of the show. Last season, when Isaac got killed off, Hannah's father came in and it went from great to absolutely terrible again. And now with this season, I feel like I wouldn't say it's gone from horrible to great. I'd say I'm still lukewarm on it. This conversation we're having has definitely made me appreciate the themes that the writers are attempting to convey here. I still think that, you know, a lot of these subplots could be more interesting, more fully developed, more relatable to the main arc that Dexter is currently going through with Vogel. But at the same time, I can't argue with you. And I have to say that at least they're moving forward slowly, but surely. So, right. I think we can both agree that the first three episodes of this season were really good. And then it went from that to being horrible in episode four. We may disagree on this, but I think 
that it went from a pretty mediocre fifth episode to an absolutely spectacular sixth episode. I was just kind of blown away by the change in quality. I could not believe that suddenly the Quinn character seemed to matter again. Suddenly, Zack was an interesting presence on the show, at least for the development he could imply. So, yeah, I was just kind of blown away by this episode, and I'm I'm really hoping that the writers continue to develop a lot of the ideas and the themes that they touched on in this episode. And if they can do that, then who knows, maybe this series really will end on a satisfying note. I, I certainly hope so, because, uh, you know, this episode is proof that they can recover from an absolute train wreck. All right, well, is there anything else you want to say about this episode a little reflection i'm really craving peanut butter and nutella fries where can i get some of those are they only in miami because holy crap like i got the biggest craving for them when they were on when he was on his date with cassie (laughs) (laughs) all right well that will wrap it up for this episode of avenging angels we'd love to get your feedback on the show you can email us at avenging angels at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, so if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and Navigating the Newsroom. Charlie, where can people find you online? You can find my articles that I've written for your magazine, Emerson, at issue. That's issuu.com slash yourmagemerson. And you can find me on Twitter at ctnash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H 91. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com and moviemezzanine.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And that remote probably deserves it. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!